Alrighty, welcome back to the program. I shouldn't say welcome back unless you heard the first podcast, not a podcast, the first episode. So this is kind of the second episode, but not really because it's not being put up on the radio just yet. It's all very confusing, but uh, here to make some sense of it with me is uh, Chris Cooper. He is the uh, chairman of the Department of Political Science and Public Affairs uh, over at Western Carolina University. We used to have him on the program all the time when we were on the radio. And uh, full disclosure, uh, Chris is a... uh, we knew each other from college. He was a fraternity brother of mine, but he's not holding it against me. Uh, sure. Also, you may have seen him on uh, on the stand in the hearings for the redistricting case. I think I played some of your sound bites, Chris, uh, oh, during. Man. Yeah, Ho- hoping it was a good one, Steve. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Well, I made you sound uh, tall and attractive and smart. I think. Well, then they were the right ones. Then they were the right ones. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So um, the election was yesterday, and. Um, well, let's start at the top of the ticket. Uh, we had, obviously, no, no real surprise on the Republican side, I don't think, right, that yeah. Donald Trump easily uh, wins their, these, you know, challengers that he had. They, they're kind of jokes. Uh, Bill Weld and uh, Joe Walsh, I think, which I thought, you know, his time with the Eagles was fantastic. But yeah. as a candidate, not so good. Um, so, yeah, Donald Trump's uh, – I, I saw his approval in North Carolina is actually higher now than Roy Cooper's, which I thought the Meredith poll found higher approval ratings for Trump. But – uh, he definitely has higher disapproval ratings than Roy Cooper does. So. That's right. <laughs> but not a big surprise on that side. No, no. Obviously, the Republican presidential side was uh, was was not expected to be interesting, and it, it turns out expectations were correct in this case. That was kind of exactly what we expected. A few folks decided not to vote at all, had this kind of opposite roll-off effect. In other words, didn't vote at the top and voted farther down. But those people are few and far between. Look, this is Trump's primary, obviously, and he's going to win it. Does that create problems for candidates running down ballot who don't get the benefit of a lot of turnout being driven by a contested top of the ticket race? You know, I think it does, particularly in a state like North Carolina, right? So we have um, unaffiliated, of course, is the second largest category in North Carolina politics. It is the largest category in the western part of the state. These unaffiliated voters, as you know very well, Pete, can choose either the Republican or the Democratic primary. This time they chose the Democratic primary in overwhelming numbers. And so what that means is they didn't get used to voting for these Republicans. Some of those folks certainly were probably Republicans or at least conservative. But the fact that they switched the Democratic Party for the primary, I think, could mean something important for the general. Mm. Over on the Democratic side, this is where all the news was, right, that um, Joe Biden won the state of North Carolina, which I found surprising given that there was the poll that came out. Where was it? I have it someplace in the stack here that uh, Joe Biden or sorry, Bernie Sanders was expected to win the state and he did not. Yeah, I mean, I think, obviously, the South Carolina bounce helped. The Jim Clyburn bounce probably helped a good bit. Um, I think it's also possible, though, to make too much of the South Carolina thing. He was doing well out of early voting as well, and early voting ended before South Carolina results were announced. So it can't all be South Carolina. Um, it, it's it's pretty interesting to really to look at the Sanders breakdown compared to 2016. So he won 18 counties in 2016. He won four counties in North Carolina last night. That's that's an amazing drop off. Is that just because is that a Hillary effect? Is that you know, Hillary not being the other candidate? I, I think it probably is Hillary not being the other candidate. I think it is uh, folks getting scared of Bernie. I think it was one thing to vote for him 
when he was kind of a protest candidate, people would feel good about and still thinking that Hillary would be the nominee. But when the rubber meets the road and they realize, hey, he could actually be the candidate, clearly folks backed off. Also, for the more local listeners, it's pretty interesting to note that last time, so these 18 counties, 15 of them were in the West. This time he won four counties. All four were in the West. So his base in this state is clearly in Western North Carolina. It's just that the base is shrinking. Hmm. Um, what of the uh, Mike Bloomberg juggernaut? <laughs> what, <laughs> the uh, was so was his strategy a bust? Yeah, I think clearly his strategy was a bust. And I think about one minute into his first debate, we can predict pretty well that it was going to be a bust, right? So uh, Mike Bloomberg exited the race today, and he exited the race having racked up American Samoa as his only delegate. So mm. I don't know how many um, how many billions of dollars that is per delegate in American Samoa, but it's got to be a lot. I think that strategy didn't work. The reality is to be president of the United States, you need to run for president of the United States in all of the states. He probably could have bought American Samoa for that kind of money. Um, I, I think that is, I think he could have picked in really any island of his choice um, <laughs> and he could have had the whole thing. Right. Now, you mentioned American Samoa. Tulsi Gabbard, she picked up a delegate from that race. She came in second. And mm-hmm. so because of the way the Democratic Party does their, uh, their primaries now, uh, that allows her, because she picked up a delegate, right, the, the rules are, unless they get changed again, um, that the rules are she gets to be on the debate stage again, which is a pretty big deal, I think, for her. She'll be now, uh, you know, sort of uh, elevated in stature as, like, I belong on this stage with these other presidential contenders. No, that's exactly right. And I think that is – it's important. I think it's probably a rule that they are regretting at this point. <laughs> um, but she's going to be on that stage. Clearly, look, she knows she's not going to win, but is she going to increase her own personal stock? Yeah, I think she probably is. Will she make things messier for the other candidates? Maybe not. But I think it's, it's, it's good – it's better to be Tulsi Gabbard today than it was two days ago. Right. Uh, Bloomberg also got ripped on the non-disclosure agreements that he had signed with uh, women over the years that uh, he got ripped by Elizabeth Warren during that debate in Nevada. And I've seen some pundits opining, as they are known to do, uh, that that sort of prompted this come home to Joe movement uh, Mm -hmm. that – uh, that all of a sudden Mike Bloomberg became not just this billionaire trying to buy the nomination, but uh, he also became sort of a, a, a maybe a, a classier Me Too version, though, of Donald Trump. Like that's that that became a problem and that might have uh, led a lot of people uh, to abandon Bloomberg and then go to Joe Biden as sort of the establishment, quote unquote, candidate. I think that's exactly right. I think and Bloomberg supporters were clearly soft, right? So we get these polls that would show him doing pretty well. But any poll who asked how certain you were in your vote, he tended to be kind of towards the bottom of that list. So it's not surprising to me that they left him. I think the problem if you're Joe Biden today is you have gotten a lot of people in the last few weeks. My guess is those people aren't real solid going forward either. So he has probably a lot of support, but a lot of soft support. Yeah. And I saw um, there was some exit polling that showed the people who decided late on who to vote for, uh, they all broke or not not all, but 59 percent of them went for Joe Biden. Uh, So the late choosers, 59 percent went for Biden uh, and uh, only 21 percent went for Bernie Sanders, Uh, and and which would seem to indicate that there is some truth to this uh, this come home to Joe Mentum, if you will, the Joe Mentum. (laughs) 
Right. The, Which, that's right. The Jomentum is real. The Jomentum <laughs> might have been started by Jim Clyburn, but uh, but it is it is continuing to go. And yeah, I mean, look, I think by, it, clearly this is a two person race now, and um, I think Biden is in a better position than Bernie. Um, Biden did really well in the South. He's won every Southern state that's come up so far. Um, Sanders' wins seem to be really restricted to either really liberal states like California or uh, states that are not very demographically diverse like Iowa, New Hampshire, and Vermont. You mentioned Jim Clyburn's endorsement. Uh, Does that stuff really matter a lot, though? I think it does matter, particularly amongst the African-American community. Um, So I think uh, Clyburn in particular, like if you said – who, who would you want to have is, uh, is your endorsement of the African-American community right now? I mean, it would probably be Lewis and Jim Clyburn, probably one and two. So mm-hmm. I think that mattered for South Carolina. And then that kind of picked up the, I'll keep it going, the Joe-mentum going forward into North Carolina. And the fact that we were just a couple of days after South Carolina meant that Clyburn's endorsement was extremely important. Yeah. Um, finally... I would be remiss if I did not mention the libertarian presidential primary results here in North Carolina, which uh, the top votainer, which I will make sure I, I will do everything I can to make that word a word uh, in the political lexicon, votainer instead of vote getter. The top votainer in the libertarian primary was no preference, which is probably the most libertarian result you could actually get in a libertarian presidential race. Um, yes. What does that actually mean? Do you have any idea? Like, do they just say, okay, well, whoever finished second, then, like, that's that's really who won? Well, right, a, a vote for none of the above there, no preference, is really a vote for Vermin Supreme, who that's was right. also on the ballot on the libertarian <laughs> ticket. So, uh, I mean, I think what it means is you got a group of people who clearly have political opinions that are well-formed, um, but who don't really like any of these candidates. So they but say, they're their well, own I candidates. Lose, but I still am a libertarian, and I'm not going for this Trump thing. Right. It, right. It's it's the thing about libertarians, though, and I say this as a former libertarian myself. Well, I mean, I'm a lowercase l. I was a capital L libertarian for a number of years. But it's one of the things, as soon as somebody stands up and says, I think I can be the leader of this precinct, this county party, this state party, or presidential candidate, anybody who stands up and says that, the natural reaction from libertarians is he wants to lead us, you know, get him. You know, like that's yeah. not, no, it's I think just that's right. something the in the DNA. party acts almost like a social movement more so than it does a political party. Political <laughs> parties need structures, they need leaders, they need processes and guidelines. And if you're libertarian, I've just listed the five things you hate the most. Right. <laughs> All righty. So anything else on the presidential side you think is important or interesting before we uh, downshift into the U.S. Senate seat here in North Carolina? I think it's, I think it's the big stuff. All right. Uh, Democratic side, Cal Cunningham, uh, he wins. I think this was pretty well expected that mm-hmm. Cal Cunningham on the Democratic side would beat Erica Smith. Um I guess he got out of the windowless basement. He's going to be, I think they said he's now going to be released from the windowless basement, but it worked. He spent like, what, $14 million or something on the primary, uh, and the Republicans were immediately out hammering him after uh, he was called the winner, saying, you know, look at all the money he spent in a very weak primary field. Mm -hmm. 
No, that's exactly right. He was spending a ton of money in a weak primary field, although a lot of that was to get his name out for the general. I mean, it's not like people forget what just happens in the primary. Um, and, of course, as everybody knows who listens to the show probably, um, uh, he, you know, Erica Smith raised some money, but the Republican Party also raised a lot of money for Erica Smith. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. They were they were spending money for her on her behalf, and she had to, you know, she came out and said, I don't want them to do this. Uh, but you can't stop somebody from raising money and putting ads out in your favor. They wanted her to do better in the primary, so Cal would have to spend more money, I suspect, and and maybe even put a scare into him, maybe even beat him. I don't know if that was entirely realistic, though. But uh, So Cunningham is now uh, going to proceed to the general election against the incumbent, Tom Tillis, who won despite, I thought, some polling that showed he's not – he doesn't generate a lot of enthusiasm among Republican voters. No, he doesn't. And, I mean, his – you know, there's lots of different metrics of this, but at least some of them show him as the least popular U.S. senator in the entire country. Now, I think part of that is, of course, Democrats don't like him because he's a Republican, but he's not getting a lot of Republican support either. So he has somehow managed to alienate both parties simultaneously. Um, the question is, of course, what's going to happen in the general? My guess is these Republicans are going to come back around as much as they may not be wild about Tillis. They're certainly going to like him a lot more than Cal Cunningham. Um, what else? Uh, Council of State. Well, sorry, North Carolina uh, uh, District Eleven here in Western Part. Uh, yeah. This is newly redistricted, or I should say, uh, the district lines have been redrawn. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, there are a lot of people in Buncombe County that are like, "Yes, we finally get all of Asheville and Buncombe into one congressional district," and that's so going to mean, I guess that. What? Like, I'm not clear. Right. <laughs> they, there's this idea, I think, among a lot of Democrats that putting Asheville and Buncombe into one congressional district is going to somehow push the uh, the candidates to be less conservative than Mark Meadows was. But I don't know there are enough voters in Buncombe County, progressive voters, to actually do that thing, um, no. particularly to get a, a moderate candidate through the primary. And frankly, I don't think Mo Davis is a moderate candidate, really. He's got, I mean, he's got a, a background and credentials that I think could be attractive for Republicans and conservatives to look at. But as soon as they look at his views, I think they're done with him. So I don't know how he, how much crossover appeal he's got, but he won, Mo Davis won, beating Gina Colias. That's right. And so, yeah, a couple things on that. I mean, the district went from 63% Trump to 57% Trump. Right. <laughs> so it was it was the most Republican district in the state, and it's no longer the most Republican, but it's still, by any metric, a fairly safe Republican seat. It'll be more competitive, but it is not all of a sudden a competitive seat. Now, certainly two of the seats uh, down east flipped uh, from Republican to Democrat. This is not likely to be one of them. Mm-hmm. As far as Davis's crossover appeal, I'm with you, Pete. I don't really see it there. I mean, he said on stage – there's not a dime's worth of difference between any of us on policy, referring to the other Democratic candidates. He then said, vote for me because I'm electable, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so if he's saying there's not a dime's worth of difference between me and, say, Michael O'Shea, a progressive Democrat who makes no bones about it and is a Bernie supporter, then I don't think that's the kind of person who's going to get Republican support. Yeah. Uh, but he did very well. Um, he did. No runoff necessary over there. So you might say Mo Davis has a bit of the... Davis Mentum. I thought you were just going to go for oh, momentum. Yeah. I thought you'd well, go for could... the easy one. It's too easy. You know, sometimes. <laughs> All right. On the Republican yeah. side, we've got um, this does look like it's going to uh, this is a runoff, right? This yeah. is Linda Bennett 
and um, Madison Cawthorn, who yeah. kind of came out of nowhere. Um, but I, I will I will tell you just from a and this stuff matters to a large degree. The guy looks good on the campaign brochures. You know, he yep. uh, he's got a good story. He does. It's a it's a compelling story. Uh, and, and he looks really good on the flyers. My wife said, oh, my gosh, when she got the flyer in the mail, she says, why isn't this guy the face of the Republican Party everywhere? <laughs> But so similarly, uh, for things I shouldn't disclose on the air, my wife saw his uh, poster and said, I don't know what he's running for, but he's going to win. <laughs> and I said, do you care what he's running for? She said, not really. So, <laughs> Right. And I, like it's we joke about that, but it does yeah. matter because people vote for especially in a race. If you don't know what, what the candidates positions are on everything, some of these uh, what you call heuristics, right? The, some of these things matter. Simply a D or an R next to a name that matters. Uh, height matters. Like yeah. th- th- these things have been uh, tested throughout the years, and and there is truth to it. So, uh, on so what do you make of the Republican race? Yeah. Is it surprising that the candidate that got Mark Meadows's endorsement can't can't get out of a runoff situation? I think that part's not a surprise to me because the field was just so big, right? So you had a dozen folks running for this seat on the Republican side. It's, I mean, just the math, not to sound like Yang here, but the math doesn't really work out for somebody to break 30 <laughs> percent. Um, to me, the, the surprise here is Madison Cawthorn, in, in all seriousness, and the fact that Jim Davis is not one of the top two. So Jim Davis, of course, represented North Carolina Senate District 50 for years. Um, and was the one person in this field who had a lot of elected experience. And he ended up coming in third to a 24-year-old who's going to have to wait for his birthday until he can actually be legally able to be a member of Congress, uh, (laughs) Madison Cawthorn. So um, that's the real surprise. Um, Bennett, of course, has um, become – a little bit of a, a controversial candidate, and a little bit is probably an understatement. Um, so Meadows, of course, has aligned himself with Bennett, has endorsed Bennett, has said that, uh, that that she's the candidate for him. I think it's possible that she'll get a Trump endorsement, perhaps, before this whole thing is over. But the timing of Meadows' decision clearly upset a lot of folks in the Republican Party who felt like they were kept out of the loop. So you've got kind of a power vacuum going on right now on the 11th on the Republican side, and I think this surprising result is what comes of it. Yeah, because Cawthorn will become sort of the avatar for everybody who was angry at the way Congressman Meadows announced his retirement. Um, right. Yeah, just because he endorsed Linda Bennett, who um, I've been, I mean, the rumor is that uh, that she needed the endorsement because this audio tape came out, which, by the way, I've got access to the entire audio tape, and it was a complete smear job against her. Mm-hmm. Um and, uh, and you know, full disclosure, like I didn't vote for either of these two candidates when I went to vote. So uh, but I think she's she's getting screwed over here by uh, by those mailers and the audio. You know, she was and we'll get to this later on uh, after we uh, finish with you. But she was obviously talking about uh, uh, palm cards and going out and distributing palm cards that are from outside groups that are making endorsements in the Republican primary. And she was saying, if I'm a never Trumper then I'm not going to hand out your palm cards. Uh, and so that's what she was saying. And they went and took the audio out of context and then smeared her with it. And that's that that got I think that hurt her to a large degree. I think it hurt her a lot. Um, now, whether or not she can overcome it, I don't know. And whether or not she can overcome people mad at Meadows's timing. Yeah, we'll see. Right. 
No, I think that's right. And the timing, the key, the key, just to catch folks up that don't know, so Tuesday was of this week. The filing week was the last day that somebody could um, pull out or run for another office. Friday was the filing deadline. He announced, I think it was 5 a.m. Thursday morning mm -hmm. that he was pulling out. So essentially anybody who was an elected official already in office was locked in. Yeah. Or anybody, right, who had filed f to run for an office, uh, they could not pull their filing and go run for his. That's uh, exactly right. Yeah. After that Tuesday deadline. Yeah. And so whether that was a Republican who might be prominent in the region and eyeing that seat or whether that might be, you know, a Democrat who was in the same position. Yeah. Or somebody that uh, maybe, quote, the establishment wanted in that position to win a seat from the House Freedom Caucus. Uh, I've heard that as well. There was some mm -hmm. uh, concern that uh, that that might happen. And uh, and then, of course, in order to file to run for the office, you'd have to go all the way to Raleigh and drop like I think it was like five thousand dollars or something like that in order to apply for the position. You can't just file at your local board of elections. So, yeah, a lot of people got hacked off at that. Um, mm -hmm. Council of State races, governor, no, no real surprise there. Roy Cooper, Democratic governor incumbent, he's going to uh, uh, he gets the nomination again to stand for reelection. And over on the Republican side, Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest, he beats Holly Grange again. I don't think that was uh, I don't think that was a, a big surprise either. No. Um, the uh, both races, though, for the lieutenant governor position, there was like I think the last count was seven hundred fifty thousand candidates. Uh, mm -hmm. For that office combined, um, which is really uh, it's amazing that there were so few, given how important the lieutenant governor's race <laughs> or the yeah, office is. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, this I remember when Dan Forrest won the seat eight years ago and I asked him, what exactly does the the, the lieutenant governor do? And. He said, you know, there are some assigned responsibilities like in the, you know, the state Senate, you break some ties and you run the meetings and stuff. And then you uh, and then there's some uh, there's a role on the board of, uh, of education. But really, <laughs> the, the job is what you make it. You know, you you have broad discretion to turn the job into something. So why were there so many candidates running for this office? You know, I mean, I think in some ways because it's a good job. I mean, it's a way <laughs> to get your name out there in politics, and there's really not much that you're going to be holding at the end. So if you think what's going to hurt you in your future in your political career, obviously making bad decisions, passing bad policy, um, voting for the wrong bill at the wrong time, uh, lieutenant governor doesn't really have to deal with any of those things. Um, Attorney General, uh, this got nasty over on the Republican side. Uh, there's a prosecutor um, O'Neill, he uh, ended up winning, and uh, he he and uh, this other candidate, uh, Muma or Mama, um, going after each other in uh, in some pretty vicious ads. Uh, so at least the Republicans are fielding a candidate for attorney general against the incumbent Democrat Josh Stein. That's kind of a that's a novel approach to the AG race. Republicans fielding a candidate. <laughs> That's right. So this is this is a seat that uh, the, the, no Republican, I believe, has ever been elected to. Right. There's been two Republicans in history who've ever held it, and they were both appointees. <laughs> so we well, this guy's a prosecutor, um, yeah. and he can take it to Josh Stein uh, because I don't think Stein has any prosecutorial experience, uh, and that's what O'Neill uh, was focused on in the primary, and um, and he's going after him on the sanctuary sheriff. Uh, issue as well. So that might get, uh, get him some traction. Um, also, huge news, Cherry Berry, the commissioner of labor, the incumbent Republican, the elevator lady, elevator queen, whatever they call her, because her name is on every elevator placard uh, 
in North Carolina. Uh, she's not running for re-election, and um, we're not going to have her name to say anymore or look at in elevators. It's a sad yeah, that, day. Yeah, that part makes me sad. It was really the best free advertising any politicians ever come up with. <laughs> well, I think it also helps, though, with her name. Because when you're in the elevator, there's not a lot to look at, you know, and you see the name and you're like, is her name Cherry Berry? And yes, it is. And look at that. Um, now, now you've got a voter because she doesn't say Republican. So uh, so there's that. And then um, I'm just kind of highlighting some of the big races. Yeah. Senate 49. This was Terry Van Dyne's seat. She left to go run for lieutenant governor. Uh, Julie Mayfield. I don't think it's a huge surprise that she won that. Uh, she's a sitting city councilwoman in Asheville and a uh, longtime you know, Democratic uh, activist and such. And so uh, she's got the seat uh, on the Democrat side, and that's going to be hers. Right. There's no chance a Republican wins that. Uh, no, I mean, not, not, you know, not save some sort of, you know, big scandal or something. And that there were three Democrats running for it. Um, yeah, she was definitely the favorite. And we should mention, too, at the, the lieutenant governor, um, the Democratic side is going to go to a runoff. So we've got a runoff for the Republicans of the 11th, and we have a runoff for the Democrats right. for that lieutenant governor seat. Right. Um, and also, uh, who is it, uh, Mark Robinson on the Republican side, um, he was just like some guy from – uh, where was it, Greensboro or something? He, he like went to a city council meeting and was railing uh, in favor of the Second Amendment sanctuary uh, uh, county or city or something, and he just caught fire. And he he uh, he's an African American man, and he's right. He's got the uh, Republican nomination for that seat. I think that was sort of that was a shocker. And he, and he avoids a runoff. He got so much support, he doesn't even have a runoff. So yeah. um, that should be an interesting race to watch. Um, Tim Moffat returns over in Henderson County. Yeah, we've got a lot of, um, we'll talk about some others of these. We've got a lot of uh, folks that are kind of coming back that we're familiar with before. So, of course, Moffitt, the uh, sometimes hero, sometimes foil of uh, of kind of local Buncombe County politics is is back again. We've got, uh, so House, so we're in the General Assembly, House Districts 114, 115, and 116, right? And these are the same districts that uh, by lines, they overlay the county commission districts one, two, and three. And so uh, the way they were drawn up by the General Assembly years ago, um, by Moffitt, if I recall correctly, when he mm-hmm. was a Buncombe, when he was the representative from House District 116, uh, and they just said, all right, we're going to have this law, and uh, it's going to dictate that the lines are the same. And the way the lines at the, at the state level were drawn was to ensure a lot of Democrat voters in 114, and that's what happened. You get a Democrat. A lot of Republican voters in 116, and they got Republican uh, representation. And then sort of a mix in 115 or County Commission District 2. And so that was kind of up in the air. And that was the idea behind it. But thanks to all the lawsuits, and I would point out, again, your testimony, those districts are now all blown up. Uh, new lines were drawn and by my reading of it, Republicans aren't going to get any representation in Buncombe County probably ever again. That's my read on it. Am I completely wrong? Uh, I mean, I would never say never in American politics. Goodness knows what this place looks like, you know, at some future date. But in the near term, no, I think you, I think you're exactly right. And, and these I mean, this redistricting stuff is interesting because it does have these second order kind of trickle down effects here in Buncombe County. Is that a fair map? The for the uh, county commission. Well, for 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 Buncombe County, the map that we have is yeah. it quote a fair map 
if Republicans are assured zero representatives on their county commission? On their county commission. You know, I don't think those maps were drawn trying to make them match county commissions. I think that was kind of a, I mean, again, it was it was a kind of a second order effect that happened. So I don't mm-hmm. think that was ever really the intention. And as you pointed out, when Tim Moffat put those in, it probably made a lot more sense. And, and I think it also raises all these questions about the degree to which state governments should be telling local governments what their district should look like, whether that is a county commission district or whether that is a, a municipal district. Considering what's been going on in Buncombe County recently, I'm not sure I want them drawing lines. Though. Right. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then also you pointed out before we started uh, the podcast here, you pointed out uh, we've got the fifth installment, <laughs> a re, 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 rematch. Uh, <laughs> this is Joe Sam Queen and Mike Clampett, huh? That's right. So, yeah, this is this is a great one. Um, so this is District 119, which is um, – Actually, I think a really interesting district, one that was not touched by any of the lawsuits and that is just kind of naturally competitive. And so we've had uh, Clampett and Joe Sam Queen go at each other four times previously. Clampett had actually what I thought was going to be a pretty strong challenger, a guy named Ron Mao, who's on the Jackson County Commission. And um, it turns out that, as often happens, I was wrong. Uh, he was not that strong of a challenger. Clampett um, won handily. So it's going to be Clampett. Queen five. Uh, I don't know which Rocky that would be, but uh, uh, in Western North Carolina, this is the closest we're going to have to Rocky five is, is, is Queen Clampett. And Clampett has won one of those four previous battles. Right. Yeah, it's, it's pretty lopsided so far, but uh, I, I could see this thing going like in multi-generational, just like Rocky. I really could. Like you could do the whole like secondary, you know, Creed series off of this when these guys are done. Uh, yeah, clamp it, Queen Five. This time it's personal. Um, this is great, right? So, any other uh, any other races that you wanna you wanna mention? You think uh, that are uh, might be of interest to folks before we let you go? We've kept you very late here. Yeah, um, I think that you know, I, I think we really hit on the big ones and the interesting ones. Again, the runoff is what to pay attention to, and just you know, little factoid: we moved from forty percent to thirty percent number for our runoff a few years ago. And just in case you wonder if these rules matter, it really does. We'd have three more runoffs in the state if we had not moved that rule down to 30 percent. So a rare occasion where a law actually yielded a benefit. That's right. Save money. There you go. (laughs) All right. Uh, We appreciate your time, as always, Dr. Chris Cooper, the chairman of the Department of Political Science and Public Affairs at Western Carolina University. Uh, Thanks so much for your time and your insight, and uh, we we will catch up with you soon. Thanks, Pete. Enjoyed it. All right, buddy. All right. Thanks to uh, Dr. Chris Cooper from Western Carolina University and uh, safe travels. He's actually presenting a paper down at the Citadel in South Carolina. He said with a couple of us of his colleagues and peers in the uh, in academia. So I uh, carved out some time for us before he hit the road. We appreciate that. Um, all right. So we mentioned in our chat with uh, with Chris, this District 11 race. This was the seat held by Mark Meadows. His announcement very, very late, like within you know, 40 hours, 30 hours or something of the uh, final deadline to file, angered a lot of people in the district, a lot of Republicans who felt like uh, that he was trying to, you know, clear the field for a preferred candidate. It seemed pretty clear 
that that preferred candidate was Linda Bennett because she was up with a campaign website uh, like that day, a couple hours later. She got the endorsement, a big write-up from the Asheville Tea Party uh, uh, pack, and um, again, almost immediately, she also obviously got the endorsement of uh, Congressman Meadows, but uh, I have heard that that endorsement came sort of um, after this audio recording got released among Republican circles, inside Republican circles. Now, if you're not aware uh, of what that audio was, it uh, somebody had recorded her at a Haywood County Republican meeting where she was saying, I'm never Trump, I'm never Trump. And so they were making this argument that if she was never Trump in 2016, how do we trust her now? Now she's pretending to be um, a big, you know, uh, a Trump supporter when she obviously wasn't because she was screaming that uh, I'm not uh, or I'm never Trump. I'm never Trump. And the audio seemed pretty damaging when taken only on its face. Just this little snippet. Well, that snippet was just a snippet because the point was to take her out of context. And we know this now because a fellow locally by the name of um, uh, Bernard Carmen, I believe is his name, he went and did the digging, put it up on Facebook, and found this audio recording of the entire meeting. This entire, it was like 35 minutes. And so here's what happened. This is this was uh, the 2016 election. So remember, at the time, you had a lot of animosity inside Republican parties, you know, local and state parties over Donald Trump. And, uh, you know, I was doing the radio show then, and it was it, it was heated because Donald Trump was a polarizing candidate in the GOP field. So what they were talking about at this meeting in Haywood County was palm cards. You know what those are? Palm cards. They are uh, the little handouts that you get sometimes when you walk up to a voting place and somebody will hand you a, a card and it's got all the different races and the endorsements, right? The Democratic Party puts them out. Republican Party will put them out. It's a palm card that tells you here are the ones you need to vote for. And this is especially helpful in quote unquote nonpartisan races, you know, where you don't necessarily know a party affiliation for like a judge or a city council right, or school board. There are no D's or R's next to any of their names. And so you get a palm card from the Democratic Party that says, here's who we're endor uh, endorsing. And if you're a Democrat, you say, OK, cool. And then you just vote for them. Or if you're a Republican, you say, OK, cool. And I vote against them. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so palm cards, <laughs> palm cards can serve a couple different purposes like that. But the idea is it gives you these are endorsements, they're recommendations, right? So that's what this discussion was initially about that Linda Bennett was having with these Republican Party uh, members. And some of these members are this, uh, what they call them, the Haywood Five or the Haywood Republican Alliance. These are, the, they're, these are like four or five guys that uh, have been at war with the Haywood Republican Party for several years now, uh, some of whom have now been like... Uh, prohibited. They were prohibited from uh, the premises where any Republican Party meetings were taking place. Uh, yeah, so they've, they've been going back and forth um, with the state party and the local party for a long time. And some of the guys that are on this tape um, are behind the leaking of the audio in the first place. So here is the 
I've got like the first five minutes, and we'll take a listen here, and you can decide for yourself what you're hearing, okay? So why it's out of hand that a small group of people could get a lot more done if they would just have left alone and they could work and they could move forward and not have to talk about this every single time we get together. All right, so you hear what she's saying? This discussion about the palm cards and whether they're going to be allowed and who's going to be on them, like they keep having this same argument at every single meeting. And what Bennett is saying is, do you can you imagine how much more successful we can be if we don't have the same fight every single meeting? Okay. So I am not interested in it. I don't care. I don't care what happened in the past. I know what's happened in the past, and I ain't nope. involved in it. Now, Lena, here's what let's do. I want to do some, I want here's to what let's do. I think Eddie and maybe Richard and Monroe and him was concerned that you're going to bring in the. And I might be wrong, and you just can say if I am. I don't know if I'm right. I think they're worried about some kind of Carolina conservatives palm card. The ones that's got all of our names. <laughs> right. Conservatives. Okay, yeah, well, let, let me finish here. And, uh, you hear what they're concerned about? That some outside group, the Carolina conservatives, are going to put together a palm card, and they're going to put endorsements on their names of Republicans. And what these folks are saying is, well, they're not really conservatives. So you shouldn't let that happen. As the Republican Party leadership, y'all shouldn't let that happen. Which I'm not sure how you let something like that happen, but that's what they're saying. They don't like the idea that there are going to be people that they don't consider to be true conservatives to be labeled as conservatives or endorse or uh, or to get the endorsements of the quote Carolina Conservatives organization, whatever that is. Okay. I think they're thinking that stuff, and 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 you know, I I'm the chairman, and I asked you, and you said it's going to be Republican. That's what it's going to be, and we're conservatives. And I understand the problem we're going to have is if you're for Kevin Inslee, then they don't want you in the building. But you, I want to tell you now, if somebody's voting for Kevin Inslee, now I, I wish they wouldn't, but they're welcome in this building to find you. Kevin Inslee is the Haywood Board of County Commissioners chairman. And these activists in the Republican Party, they don't like Ensley. They don't think he's a real conservative. They don't want to see his name on a palm card put out endorsing conservatives. That's the premise for this entire discussion. And that is vital to understanding what Linda Bennett is about to say. Because it's a republic. And uh, I'm about the whole Republican Party. So and, I'm, and that's who I'm going to do it for. So I'm a never Trump person. I don't want Trump. You know? I'm never Trump. Not ever. You can't believe him. I, I want him <laughs> taking off that palm card. Or I'm not helping you guys. That's what I'm hearing. You might. That, did you hear what she just said? She's giving another example. She's saying to them, well, be careful what you wish for, because you say you're never Ensley. Well, if I'm never Trump, then I'm going to say I don't want him on that palm card either. She's noting that it is a counterproductive tactic and argument to be having over and over and over again. Okay. So never Trump is a big movement, and you guys are right. denying it, and you're acting like, well, I can be never this person, and I can be never that person, but you can't be never Trump. And you can't be never Trump, but I'm never Trump, so now what? What are you going to do? You're going to ask me to get out there and help Trump get elected? And you want me yeah. to help organize a hundred people to come and work the polls to get Trump elected? But I am not for him. I am against him. Never Trump. Never Trump. 
Thank so you. now, how are you going to work on that? What are you going to do about people like me? Well, you could take legal action. You could, you could do the most. The, the uh, mo- uh, the, I the am most being facetious. I am being facetious. She's talking to Eddie Cabe. Is his name? I'm being facetious. And this idea that, that you take legal action. What are you going to? You cannot take legal action to make somebody go campaign for your preferred candidate. <laughs> Which is like, that's what this whole fight is over. She's saying, if you're, you're never Ensley and you say, oh, there's no problem with me being, you know, never Ensley, but now you're pro Trump. Well, what if I walk in the door and I'm a never Trumper and you're saying then that, oh, I can't be never Trump. So in in your world, you don't have to work for Kevin Ensley, the chairman of the Haywood County Commission. You don't have to work for him and you can work against him, but you're going to what? suggest legal action against someone else because they don't want to work for Donald Trump because for the exact same reason, which is they don't think he's a conservative, right? (laughs) This is her argument, which is a completely logical argument to make. The most thing that you can do is censure. Censure. Is censure a Republican. So we have censure right here. So why would I want to censure Donald Trump? How can you put him on the file? Donald Trump is never okay, Trump. Now, here's what we're going to do. Never Trump. Here's what I'm going to say. He say. says all kinds of weird things. I never know what he's going to say next. Steve, Charles, Linda. Charles. As long as y'all are doing Republican stuff and not handing out palm cards. Now, what if my palm card says never Trump on it? It's not going to say that, but as long as they don't have Adolf Hitler and stuff on the palm cards and it's Republican no, stuff. Good. Well, good. as long as we have some standards, right? As long as, as long as we know that Hitler won't be on the palm card, then we're good to go. Then I'm going to support, yeah, 100%. I'm going to support Eddie and Richard Monroe and 100% if they're doing Republican stuff, but if if they're wanting to say, let's five, five, this, five, man, we got 40 days. I let's, think we should go. Let's wait till the end of them 40 yeah. days and we'll meet up here and do whoever wants to fight, we'll have a boxing match. Well, I'll be on that Never Trump's going to win. Okay, let's hear it. something. I mean, it's like the majority supports Trump in our county. Am I not correct? That's what I'm saying. So I'm a Never Trump. Well, we hope so. I want Andrew Never Trump. Never. But I, I have to say, the majority support Trump, and we've seen the polls. Yes. He's actually up in the polls. So, yeah. I mean, That's you right. can say you're never Trump, but you're handing it to Hillary Clinton. What are you doing? I mean, if you want to be your next president, I mean, the divide. Oh, did you just hear that part? I know it's, they start talking over each other. But I believe, again, that was Eddie Cave. He says, This lady thinks that you're not for Trump. He's talking about Linda Bennett. He's saying this lady thinks you're not for Trump and then says she is for Trump. She's just using this as an example, he goes on to say. She really is for Trump. She's just never Trump. I'm using never Trump as an example because there are people that are not for Trump. I'm just saying all right so that's then that's just a lot a lot more of that all right so (laughs) this this is what it comes down to someone inside that room 
that had that audio put that audio out in order to smear Linda Bennett as a never-Trumper, knowing full well the context of the entire argument that she was making was simply over palm cards, which, by the way, she was right on. Like, her argument was correct. And I'm not saying this to endorse her or say she's better than Madison Cawthorn in this runoff. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is the people who did this really need to be ashamed of themselves if they're capable of feeling uh, that kind of uh, emotion. Uh, It's just shameful to to take the words that someone says and make them sound like she's saying the absolute opposite thing. It's it's disgraceful. Anyway, so that's the that's the background on the audio. Now you have all of the audio. I'm not sure how many people actually have ever been able to hear that. So now you've heard it. There's another uh, there was another element going on here. Did you get any of those flyers from some weird anonymous kind of a group in this district in the 11th district race in the Republican primary? There was a super PAC that was backed by wealthy donors. They've spent 10 million dollars supporting veterans who are running for office. Uh, uh, this is according to OpenSecrets.org, and um, they've been spending all of this money in GOP primaries in 2018, and now they're doing it again in 2020, and uh, the North Carolina 11th District is one of those races. With Honor Fund, that's the name of it, With Honor Fund. It's a super PAC. It promotes and supports veterans running for federal office. It's what's called a cross-partisan organization. And it has supported both Republicans and Democrats in 2018. Decreasing polarization in Congress is an objective of the organization, and the group tends to support candidates who are moderate. With Honor Fund was backing Dan Driscoll, a veteran who served in the Army as an officer, and he was deployed to Iraq in 2009, and the group reported spending $361,000 in order to support Driscoll. Now, some of the big donors to this organization, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, who gave more than $10 million in 2018, and members of the Walton family, heirs to the Walmart fortune, and uh, Abigail Wexner, who is married to Les Wexner, who is the founder of fashion company L Brands. Okay, so so far you're thinking, okay, some donors, uh, but uh, this donor might be of interest. Michael Bloomberg. Billionaire Democrat presidential candidate contributed to the group in 2018. Uh, And so they were funding some of Dan Driscoll's uh, race uh, or trying to help him out. Let me see here. One last, uh, well, a couple of things. I keep, I got to break myself here of the the constant looking at the clock to make sure I'm hitting my brakes on time. (laughs) It's one of the, it's one of the old radio habits that I don't have to adhere to so tightly so much anymore. Um, Elon University has a poll. They do. They got a polling outfit, Elon University poll. Uh, two of the three North, two out of three rather, North Carolina voters believe political divisions have made their lives uncomfortable, and that politics is probably going to get even more divisive in years to come. Uh, social media, they say, is where voters most commonly find political conflict. <gasps> no, really. More than that at work, more than they find it with their family and their friends, or even in various groups that they belong to. A lot of voters are concerned about the influence of foreign governments in the election, and they're concerned about how false information may mislead voters as they decide how to cast ballots. Now, it's funny, when you read through, uh, you go deeper into the polling, people are generally concerned 
about voters getting misled, but not themselves. Right? They're, they're, worried about, they're worried about other voters getting misled, you see. Not so much themselves, but others. <laughs> um, voters are lukewarm about the current state of health care. Uh, with most saying that drug costs are unreasonable, slightly more than half support government paying more for health care and gradual, uh, a gradual path forward uh, for changes to the health care system is the most popular option among North Carolina voters. Nearly half believe the economy and their own financial situations have improved under Trump. But they're divided on which direction the economy is heading in the near future. Do you want to take a guess how partisan affiliation <laughs> influences that opinion, right? I, this is going to shock you, but uh, Republicans, conservatives, and uh, Trump supporters, they are, they, they are a little bit more bullish on the uh, economy and their financial situation for the future. And Democrats, not so much. Democrats think it's all going to collapse. Clear differences based on party affiliation. Uh, liberals are way less likely to say the economy has been on an upswing, <laughs> and they are uh, more likely to say, uh, actually the most likely to say, that the economy is going to stay the same going forward. They are less likely to be very satisfied with their health insurance, and one in five liberals give the U.S. healthcare system a failing grade. They believe the Affordable Care Act has improved health care in North Carolina, and three in four support government becoming more involved in paying for health care. So it's it's terrible. It gets an F. Uh, they're, they're not satisfied with their insurance. It's all terrible. But the Affordable Care Act improved it, and they want government to do more. Two-thirds of voters report that divisions between political parties oh, uh, made their lives uncomfortable. Women, Democrats, and liberals were more likely to report that those divisions are making their lives uncomfortable. Women, Democrats, and those who identify as liberal more likely to say that the divisions between political parties has made their lives uncomfortable at times. Why do you think that is? Whatever could be the reason for that. Might it be the way you approach politics? Might it be that conservatives have been, you know, of the same sort of approach to this for a long time, and now you're of a different approach? Maybe you're not handling Trump's presidency very well? I'm just, I'm just spitballing here, just throwing out some ideas, you know? <laughs> By the way, this is, uh, I'll make one note, well, actually, sorry, two notes. Uh, number one, this is why Democrats choose this issue of health care. They, they believe it's why they won in 2018 in North Carolina, why they were able to take back so many legislative seats, is because they said health care is like the number one polling issue. And health care always does poll well, but I'm not sure how much, how much that matters. In other words, um, it's sort of like when focus groups are asked about what do they watch in the TV newscast. And a lot of them, a lot of people who participate don't ever want to say, I like watching, you know, the crime stories or the car accidents. I want to see all of the bad news. People don't like saying that in focus groups. So they'll say, oh, I watch for the weather. I like the weather. I want to get caught up on the weather. Right. So uh, so media companies will react to that and put weather at the top of the show and then tease weather throughout the show. It's all weather, weather, weather. Right. But uh, when you actually look at watching Panther, the viewership and stuff like. 
people actually do watch the blood and gut stories. That's why they still lead the newscasts with them. So um, I kind of get the sense that the same thing is going on with this health care issue. But this is why Democrats have uh, really focused on health care. And by the way, it's also why Roy Cooper is hitching his wagon to the Medicaid expansion argument. Right. I mean, even to the point of of vetoing teacher pay raises. Right. There's a reason he's doing it. It's because he thinks it's an election issue winner for him. Healthcare. Last point here from the Elon University poll found 68% of North Carolina voters are in favor of requiring a government-issued photo ID to vote. 68% favor voter ID. 91% of Republicans, 71% of unaffiliated, and 47% of Democrats. The word you would use in that scenario, bipartisan. Bipartisan. It is a wildly popular and bipartisan issue uh, in a landscape with few issues that have such support. Voter ID. Also, legislative districts. Nearly half of North Carolina voters believe that the redistricting process is, quote, mostly fair or somewhat fair. 37% believe it's not fair at all, and 14% haven't thought much about this, which, honestly, I haven't really thought much about it either in the last few weeks, but I am now. So thanks for sticking around this late into the second podcast. Not really a podcast. It's kind of is a podcast. I don't really even know what to call it yet. We're not officially launched yet. We're running through all of these, uh, uh, the technical issues, sort of like uh, test runs, like pretending this is real because the only way to know if you can do it is to do it. So we're doing it. So thanks a lot for uh, sticking around this late. And uh, this would be the part in the program where, yeah, we hit the close. So that's it. Pretty seamless so far. Not bad for a one-man operation. Thanks a lot for sticking around. And thanks a lot for all your support and getting this off the ground and proving the concept works. ThePeteCallenderShow.com. Check out the Patreon account, all of the links. Subscribe on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Listen many, many times to each episode. And don't break anything while I'm gone.